for each of us. Jesus, I, I just, I sat and I thought about those words. And when, when Dave said it last week, I was just so touched. I was so, I was reminded just how much our Savior loves us. He chooses us. He sacrificed himself for us. He calls us sons and daughters. Wow, how blessed are we? And we remember that when we take communion. And so I invite you, if you grabbed a cup on your way in, and those of you at home, to grab whatever it is that you have. And we're going to take communion right now. And so if you would just take a moment and, and peel that top layer off. And let's, let's, take that, let's take that top piece. Let's take that bread and remember the body of Jesus Christ who was sacrificed for us when he said, I choose you. Let's take the bread now. continue in this communion time and we remember the blood that Jesus sacrificed for us, the blood he shed. So if you will take, take the juice. Would you please pray with me? Father God, Lord, we just thank you so, so much for inviting us into your family. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Lord, we, we, we love you so much and we, we are honored and we are humbled, humbled by your, your sacrifice for each of us, Lord. We, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It is in your great name we pray. Amen. Hello, church. Every week, we take time to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ through communion. And we also take time each week to worship him through offering. And we have so many different ways to do that here at BSCC. So for those who call BSCC their church home, we advise you guys to just choose whichever way fits best for you. So whether that be giving on our website at bscc.org or texting the word give to the number on the screen, you can mail in your offer, your offering to the church. Or for those who are on campus right now, you guys can use the boxes by the worship center doors. This Easter, we are having an Easter scavenger hunt, and we're so excited about this. It's for the whole family. It's going to be on Saturday, April 3rd at 3 p.m., and the hunt will be on our campus right here in these two buildings, and everyone who participates gets a cookie dough treat from the Rolling in the Dough cookie dough truck. And after the scavenger hunt is over, we have a 4.30 service that we'd like to encourage you all to come to. 
to help make this event and all of our Easter weekend services a great experience for everyone, we could use your help. Easter is one of our busiest weekends of the year and a wonderful opportunity for a large number of guests to come on our campus and learn all about BSCC. So jump on our website today, bscc.org, and sign up on our volunteer, on the events page to volunteer. You can help setting up the scavenger hunt, you can help be a scavenger hunt guide, donate candy, or you can help be a greeter at any of our five Easter services. If you have any questions, please come find me after service. I'd be happy to answer them. We also have a night of prayer and worship coming up. That's on March 21st from 6 to 7 p.m. It's right here in our worship center. And for those that are watching online and who would like to continue participating online, we also have a prayer Zoom time on Zoom. You can find the link and all those details also on our website. As Dave heads on stage to, to deliver the message, I ask that you get out your phones and text the number on the screens. If you're new, just text the word new to that number. And if you're a BSCC member, whether you're watching in person or online, text your name to that same number. Hi, church. Sorry about that. That took me a minute to get that off of there. I want to, I want to give a big hi to everybody online. Uh, we are happy that you're worshiping with us here in this service, as well as it's good to see everybody in the room. I want to just follow up on what Cassie said for a moment, uh, for a minute here about our Easter services. And uh, as she mentioned, we have five that we're going to be offering. And I want to talk a little bit about them because we have about 230 chairs on our floor right now. And so we're going to need BSCCers who are worshiping with us on campus over Easter to kind of spread out among those services. Our, our Thursday service, we're going to have a very special event. At 6.15 on Thursday of Easter week, we're going to have a Seder meal exhibit in our lobby. And this is going to be a really neat exhibit for you to be able to come out and learn about the Passover meal that Jesus had with the disciples the night before his crucifixion. Uh, there's such, such rich history there and meaning as Jesus introduces the Lord's Supper uh, there that night. And so that'll be an opportunity for those who come out on Thursday. And as you come out for that exhibit, then we'd ask you to stay and, and come and celebrate Easter with us in that service. And then Cassie mentioned the Saturday service at 4.30 that we're going to be having that, that scavenger hunt, just a great time before that. So we're, we're asking BSCCers, families to come out, individuals, and enjoy that scavenger hunt and then stay and worship with us. And then we'll have our 8 o'clock service on Easter morning. We're beginning that service on the 28th at that 8 o'clock time. And we, we need to have about 200 or 230 or so BSCCers come out at 8 o'clock, as well as the Thursday and Saturday service. So at 9.30 and 11, 
We'll have some open chairs for, as we anticipate, you know, many new families and guests coming out to celebrate Easter with us in those last two services. And so I appreciate BSCCers, your willingness to kind of look at your schedule, see how you can kind of spread out so those who are worshiping on campus will be able to uh, have a seat here. We'll also be streaming all five of those services online as well. And we've got a very special invite uh, that you can pick up on campus. Uh, you can get it if you're here uh, in this service uh, when you leave, but, but any time between now and Easter to stop by, we've got these neat little um, invite your peeps gifts uh, with, uh, with some candy as well as information, a card with information about our services for you to hand out to coworkers and neighbors and family members and such. So let's be, let's be doing that. Th this is such a, a, an important time of outreach for us and just expressing you know, the, the good news of Jesus in the way in which we pray for and invite uh, people that we know that don't have a church home, that, that may not be in a relationship with Jesus yet. I'm excited about our Easter services, what's being planned, and just as we come together as a church to celebrate the most important event in human history, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. And if you've been with us here recently, you know that we're in a series leading up to Easter through the Gospel of Mark. And we're working our way along with about 150 other churches here in the Kansas City area and then churches around the world in a campaign called, called One. And as we've been working our way through Mark, we've been, been learning about the real hope that we have in Jesus, that it's able to just cheer us up on the inside. And in this particular message, I want to begin by just sharing with you a, a picture. So if you'll take a look at the screens, I think we're going to have the... Yeah, we'll have that picture up there on the screens as well as the TV here. What, what do you see when you look at that picture? I, I see a bunch of dots or little balls with different colors. That's all I've ever seen. I've looked at that picture several times now. But this is actually a stereogram. And, and these are popular in uh, art shops and in museums and in shopping malls and things. And what artists do is they embed a 3D image inside a two-dimensional picture. So do you see that three-dimensional image inside that picture as you look at it? I've yet to see it, but it is there because I've asked a couple of the staff to take a look at it and they haven't seen it. So, but let's, let, let me show you what, is, what you should be seeing as you look at that picture. If we could go on, it's a shark. There's actually a 3D image of a shark in that, in that first picture. And like I said, I'll admit, I've yet to see it, but, but I am confident that it is there. And, and, and the point is, you know, we, we can look at things sometimes and not, and not see what is there. And this happens not just in the, in the art world. This can happen in the spiritual world, and it does happen. And it can happen in the way that we see Jesus, that we can look at Jesus but not truly see him and not truly see uh, who it is that he is. I want to ask you, what image, when you think of Jesus, what image do you see of him? It is just so important, so critically important that when we see Jesus, we, we see how wonderful he is, how, how incredible he is, that, that we see how compassionate and how, how, how powerful and how glorious Jesus is. And so as we continue our journey through Mark's account of Jesus' life and ministry, we're going to start at chapter 6, verse 30, 
and work our way through chapter 9, verse 32. So in those three chapters, there are several incredible pictures that Mark paints of Jesus that helps us to see him more clearly. As, as you look through those chapters, we, we see a picture of one who has the authority to walk on water. And Mark paints a picture for us of, of, of one who has the power to be able to heal a person of demon possession. And, and there's a picture of Jesus liberating people from legalism that Mark paints. And there's a picture of, of Jesus giving sight to the blind and a picture of Jesus giving uh, hearing to, to the deaf. There's, there's a picture of Jesus challenging religious hypocrisy in this part of the gospel of Mark as well. And there's a picture of Jesus that Mark paints as the, as the ultimate prophet of God. So some incredible pictures that we have in this part of Mark's gospel. And up to this point of the story, Jesus is just you know, wildly popular. There are people by the thousands trying to get a, a glimpse of him to, in hopes of, of hearing some of his amazing teaching and in hopes of maybe seeing him do a miracle or maybe have, have, have him heal them. But, but things are about to take a turn in the story here. And we always need to keep in mind when we, when we look at the story of Jesus in Mark's gospel or the other gospels that we have in the New Testament, that, that things are moving toward a point a moment of conflict. That the religious leaders, they reach a level of jealousy and, 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 and feeling threatened by the power of Jesus to where they turn the people away from Jesus, against Jesus. And that ultimately then leads to you know, the crucifixion of Jesus on a Roman cross. And as we've been journeying our way through the gospel of Mark, I, I don't know if you've, you've noticed, but Jesus is increasingly, he's continually trying to help his disciples see him, see him for who he truly is. And in this message, I want to share with you two particular pictures that Mark paints in this part of the gospel that just, that just help us see Jesus with, with greater clarity, who he truly is and the wonderful, the fullness of life that Jesus offers each of us. And the first picture that we're going to look at is found in the first 21 verses of Mark chapter 8. And as I mentioned, it was not uncommon for there to be thousands of people gathered around Jesus, and this was one such day. In fact, this was actually the third day now with this crowd. And after Jesus finishes teaching, he turns to his disciples. Let me read to you what he says here. He says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, Jesus isn't just a, a teacher and a leader and a, and a miracle worker. He is a shepherd. And he, he cares about uh, this crowd, the people that are there, their needs. And he says to the disciples, you know, uh, we, we, need, we need to feed them. Now, two chapters earlier, so Mark 6, there's the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men. And where you have 5,000 men, often you'll have about 5,000 women, right? And 
several thousand children. So this could be a crowd as many as, you know, over 10,000. And all Jesus had to work with on that day was five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But Mark records how Jesus feeds everybody there with those resources to the point where everybody is full. And then as the disciples go around and pick up the leftovers, it says there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And I love that. It's like a little doggy bag for each of them, you know. And my point being, it's two chapters later now. And Jesus says to the disciples, the crowd here of 4,000 is hung hungry. What are we going to do? This should be a no-brainer, right, for them. Hey, I've seen this play before. Let's have everybody sit down. Jesus is going to do a great miracle here, right? Isn't that, isn't that what they do? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Let me read to you what it says. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. So Jesus has everybody, you know, the crowd, you know, sit down and get gathered around. And, and then he takes the, the loaves that are there, and there's a, some fish, and he just gives thanks to the Father. And then he miraculously, again, multiplies the food that is there. And all 4,000 are fed till they are full. And it says again, there were, were leftovers. So, so what's, what's, what's happening here? Well, I, I want to explain it this way, that Jesus and the disciples were not seeing the same things. That, that Jesus, that the disciples saw people who needed to be sent away. But what Jesus saw was people who needed to be fed, you see. What the disciples saw was an impossibility, but what Jesus saw instead was an opportunity. Now, before we get too hard... Uh, on the disciples, you know, and how, how, could they, how could they not see that? Let's think about our own selves. Because I, often I think this, this happens in our lives as well. That, that we see somebody who has, has ruined their life, but what Jesus sees is somebody who deserves a second chance. Or we see a, you know, a drain on our resources, but what God or Jesus sees is us using what God has given to us, you see see something different. We, we see an infringement on our time. Jesus sees an investment in eternity. Or we, we see, you know, not enough to really matter here. Jesus sees a resource that is in God's hands. And so we just, Jesus sees so often things that we don't see because his ways are, are higher than ours, are, you know, superior to ours. And this is, this is why faith, this is why prayer this is why the promises of God and his word, those things make a difference. They kind of help us with, with that, that gap that we have. Later then in our story, in the disciples are alone now with Jesus and they're kind of debriefing the day. And Jesus again is sensing they're not really seeing him. They're, they, they're not seeing who he truly is. So let me read to you what he says. This is from verse 17 of chapter 8. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus is like, you're looking at me with the wrong focus. You're looking at me with the wrong expectation. You're, you're, you're not seeing me here. And in verse 18, he asks the question, do you have eyes but fail to see? What a penetrating question that is. Church, isn't that us? That we will, no matter what, what it is that Jesus has done before, that, that often we fail to see him in the moment, in the present, that, that we fail to, to see the power that he has, or we fail to see the compassion and love that he has. We just, we just fail to see in the present something that Jesus has already done before in our lives. Do you have eyes, but, but you fail to see, Jesus asked. Now, he, do, he doesn't ask that question of us in a, in a shaming kind of a way, but he's asking that question to us to get us to stop and just examine, examine things, to, to refocus and to remember what it is that Jesus has done before. And so the first, the first takeaway from this part of Mark's gospel that I want to emphasize to you, for you to truly see Jesus, you need to recall what he's already done. One of the things I appreciate about God is his patience because I know, I know I need that from him. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but you know, there are times where I worry or times where I have a sense of discouragement about life or a, a, a fear. And it's just really because I, I have not remembered something Jesus has already done in my life. And I've, I've not recalled how, how faithful he has been. And as I reflected on this a little bit, I thought about, you know, when Tammy and I were raising our three children and, and this, this would happen. Say, for instance, so, something would happen to our youngest, Curtis, and I would, I, I would worry about it and I would worry about it. But then all of a sudden I, I would recall Something that God did in Heather's life or something that God did in Renee's life in a very similar circumstance. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to trust him to do, do that same working here in this situation with Curtis as well. And there would just be this, this sense of peace and this sense of nearness to God and in, in, in really seeing Jesus there. But... I will also admit to you that there are times where <laughs> it feels like maybe even the second time around, uh, there's not as much of a, a sense of, of seeing Jesus, at least you know, some of the times. For, for a while, I'll be like, you know, I, I, I know he was there before, but I wonder if maybe he's getting a little impatient with me. This is happening again, or I, I, I you know, maybe he's not going to be as concerned this time or as, as involved in things in this in this time, and I just, I just don't see it. I, 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 don't, I don't get it, and, and there are times where I guess I, I'm thinking probably others of you can relate to that. Earlier, or, or uh, here, here at the end of the service, we're going to sing a, a song that, that I, I ask Adam to, to put in the service here called Waymaker. Because I, I love this song because it reminds us of God, and it reminds us of who he is. You know, God, you, you are a way maker. You are a promise keeper. You are a miracle worker. You are a light 
in the darkness, God. That is, that is who you are. But we, we, we forget that at times. And maybe here in this worship service, that's something that you've kind of forgotten about. Maybe you're in a very dry season right now spiritually and there's just not much passion there. Maybe you've not felt the presence of God in your life for a while. Maybe, you know, answered prayers you think, you know, that's for other people. Or maybe there's just been losses in your life that have been piling up that have caused you to, to feel like giving up. I think sometimes really all we can do is say, God, Help me to see you. I I want to see who you are, God. And sometimes I think we actually have to borrow. We're at a point where we need to borrow from the experience of others as they see God and share that and celebrate that and help sort of build us up. And this church is a key reason why every Christian needs to be in community with other believers. And then, then I would say another thing that helps us in being able to recall what Jesus has already done and, and, and who he is, is to be a student of his word. Because when we, when we read God's word, you know, openly and honestly, you know, he, he, he meets us there and he, he helps us just see and recognize more and more clearly, you know, what he's already done, who he is, who we can count on him to be in our lives as well. Well, there's a second picture, as I mentioned, that I, I want to really spend some time on from this part of the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus is uh, continuing to want to help his disciples to see him, truly see him, he asks them some questions. Let me share those questions with you. Here in verse 27 of Mark 8, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now we're getting to the crux of the story right here. The story of Jesus. Who, 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 who do people say that I am? This is the essential question that every human being must answer. To see, to understand the, the identity of Jesus, who he is. It's everything. It is, it is truly everything. I don't know if you remember or even maybe heard of, of what this, this story I want to tell that happened back in 2006. It was just a tragic accident involving nine students from Taylor University, which is in Indiana. But a, a semi-truck lost control and crossed over the median and crashed into their van, and, and five were, were killed just uh, immediately there. Just a horrific thing. There was a couple that witnessed the accident. They ran over to it. They saw this, this student there, had, had blonde hair, this, this uh, young lady that was just fighting for her life, and, and so a, a, a helicopter, rescue helicopter was, was uh, uh, notified or, or was dispatched and, and they came and they, they got this girl. They identified her as Laura Van Wren. They took her to the nearest hospital and admitted her with, you know, um, uh, with uh, level one trauma. They contacted her parents. She came, they came to the hospital. They warned her, hey, you, you know, don't expect, you know, her to look as you would know her to be. She, she had bandages all over her head and face and a tube, you know, in her 
mouth and cuts and bruises everywhere. And, and then the, the parents of Whitney Sirik, who were across town, were notified uh, of different news that, that their daughter had passed, had been killed in the accident, and they, they chose not to identify her body just because of how horrific the accident was. And then four days later, you know, they, they had a service and buried her. But as this, this girl in the hospital slowly began to recover, um, Laura's parents, there were some, some things that she said and some, some things that, they, that she did that caused them you know, to, to start asking questions. And, and they, they realized eventually that this was not their daughter, Laura, that this was Whitney Sarek, that their daughter, Laura, you know, had been buried by the Sarek family days earlier thinking that it was, was Whitney. And you're like, how could that possibly happen? Well, an officer that was there at the accident came across a, a, a Laura's purse that was right next to, to Whitney. And so somebody attached an identification of Laura Van Ryn to, to Whitney Sirik, and Whitney became Laura, you see. It was just a, just a terrible mistake of, of a, or, or a case of mistaken identity that occurred. You know, what, what if everything that you, you thought and believed to be true is false? This is why Jesus asked this question about his identity. Who, who do people say that I am? Because if we get that wrong, that would be tragic beyond description. If we get that identity wrong, you see. If, if, if we draw our identity of who Jesus is from our culture or you know, from, from movies that we see or or books or whatever, it can lead us down a road that would lead us away from who Jesus truly is and away from God. But if we get his identity right, if we truly see him for who he is, he will lead us into a relationship with God that will free us and enable us then to experience the joy and the wonder of the masterpiece that our creator has in mind for every one of his children. Well, back to, to Mark. The disciples answered Jesus, his question of what people were saying about who, who he was. And then Jesus asked him this, this question. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus affirms him. But then he says, don't tell anybody. Why would Jesus say that? Because they did not have a correct understanding of what kind of Messiah that he, he was and is. And so he had some more teaching to do for them. And we go on then in verse 31. Then he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And this idea of, of the Messiah suffering and dying, that, that was foreign to him. Peter was going to have nothing of that. He pulls Jesus aside and he said, listen, I don't want to hear any more of that suffering and dying. That, everybody's getting depressed by that. And Jesus, he seizes this moment again to try to help the disciples understand, you know, who, who he is. And he, he rebukes Peter. Let me read this verse, verse 33. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> 
he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And he identifies Satan here as the one who's influencing Peter and confusing Peter about who Jesus truly is and what he has come to this earth to do, you see. And we just need to recognize that as well. The Bible says we, we, we have an enemy who seeks to deceive us and lie to us. And Satan wants to try to get us to see Jesus other than who he truly is, you see. He wants, he, he'd be fully satisfied if we would just see Jesus as a good man, maybe the best man that ever lived, or to see him as a, as a moral teacher, or as a healer, or as a prophet, or as one of many ways to God. Sort of, sort of switching gears, if you ask Alexa about him, this is what she would say. Jesus was a Jewish preacher and religious leader who was the central figure of Christianity, would be her answer. But he, he's more, I mean, he is, he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you see him? It is so important that we have this picture and understanding of Jesus in our mind and in our heart. So to truly see Jesus, then we've got to embrace the reason he came to earth. He said, I came to earth to seek and save the lost. That we, we are lost apart from Jesus spiritually, you see. We're, we're wandering around lost because we've been separated from our, our, our creator in our sin. Jesus came that he might die. This is, this is who he was revealing himself to the disciples here to be in this you know, last part of, of Mark as things begin to turn and he's, he's trying to, sh sh this is the Messiah that I am, you see, that he on the cross willingly died for us as we celebrated in communion to, to pay the penalty for our sin, to be, the Bible says, our substitute that we might be able to be forgiven by God and, and reconciled to him and his resurrection just authenticated that his sacrifice was sufficient. His payment was sufficient, you see. And he is alive now. And he just invites anybody who sees him to receive his gift of eternal life. And so I invite you, if you'd like to talk with someone about Jesus, the Messiah, becoming your Savior. We're going to put a number up on the screen. And if you'll take your phone and just text the word response to that number, one of our, our ministers will reach out to you. Let me share with you just two last, two more verses from Mark in this, in this part of the series. Verses 34 and 35 of chapter 8. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news of Jesus will save it. Jesus says, if we want to see him, then we've got to deny ourselves, we've got to take up our cross, and follow him. What does it mean to to take of your cross. What it, what it means, because the cross was an instrument of death, you see. 
It means that we choose to, to be dead to ourselves that we might become alive to Jesus and his, his plans for us, you see. And so here's the takeaway. To see Jesus, truly see him then, you must submit to his authority. And so I want to ask you, have you fully surrendered to the authority and the leadership of Jesus? Because to see him as your savior, to truly see him that way, you must also see him as your Lord. And I'll just share with you that whenever I have chosen to you know, take myself out from underneath the authority of Jesus in my life, I've always paid for it. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always ended up in a ditch. I've, 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 messed, you know, I've ended up in a mess that's self-created. And so when that happens, when I realize, okay, that's what I've done, then I just seek to confess that. And as quickly then as I can, get back underneath the authority of Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit, seek to live a surrendered life to Christ. And I would say to anybody who follows Jesus, it's, it's important for us to be praying, Jesus, point out to me anything in my life where I am not fully surrendered to you. I want to deny myself. I choose to deny myself. Point out to me any way that I am not in conformity with your will and wishes for my life. And I take up my cross and I follow you, you see. I hope you know that Jesus Christ loves you dearly. I hope you know he's, he's much wiser than us. I hope you know he always wants what is best for you and that his plans for you far exceed anything that you might dream up for yourself. And if you will live surrendered underneath the authority of Jesus, you will see him in ways that otherwise, hear me now, are impossible. Are impossible to see. To see Jesus, we must live under his authority and leadership. It is the best place to be. Now, I wish we had some more time because when you get into Mark 9, Jesus then takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and transfigures, is transfigured, and they see him like never before. And my point is, before I pray here, my point is this, the more that we follow Jesus more and more, then the more he just reveals himself and we see his beauty and we see his majesty and we see his goodness and his compassion and we see how glorious he is. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for Mark's accounting of your life that is helping us to see you better and better. And the more that we see you, Jesus, the more our, our, our hearts and lives are filled with gratitude, they are filled with, with joy, they are filled with a desire to know you better. I pray for everybody that's worshiping in this service that in the days to come that we would have eyes that see, that we would we would place ourselves underneath your authority and say, Jesus, have your way.
your kingdom come, your will be done in, in our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us to see you that we might, share you with others that we might, obey you and follow you and worship you for the way maker that you are. Yes, Lord, may these things be so for your glory. We pray in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Would you please stand and join us?
seated. forward from here, may you, may you see the Lord Jesus in his beauty, in his love, in his power, in his goodness, and may you, uh, may you walk closely with him. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have an usher come and dismiss you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.